Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. We're in line for another record month, Varn, for listeners. All right. We're, in, we're, we are, we're, we're in line for it. So hopefully lots of people download this episode and then we should beat our highest uh, month. Well, that would be pretty it's cool. So down, thank you, down, everybody down who listens. all our awesome listeners. Absolutely. Um, we are bringing exactly the show that we promised you one week ago, which was a podcast I recorded in Swedish Lapland on a rather one, exciting one adventure. week. One week ago, it was uh, three days ago we promised it. Oh yeah, we did. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's we recorded it around a massive table in a very remote cabin in the middle of nowhere, and you will you're you're about to hear it, but it's basically everybody talking about their experience on this great adventure that we had the the opportunity of being part of. You'll have to excuse the odd uh, creaking and thumping. Yeah, there's quite a bit of creaking and thumping. Yeah. I I wasn't there, and I I I edit the the show, and there is it's a, it's forgiven though because you can understand it's authentic. it is authentic with the creaks and the we thuds. didn't have our normal yeah. fancy gear set up for the podcast, so we were just handing around a recording device around this really long table that we had just had dinner at, uh, and everybody w- w- was talking into it. So that is the creaking of the floorboards and the creaking of the table. But it, it's not that bad, actually. You soon uh, forget that it's well, once you place. Once you start hearing people's stories and that, you forget. You forget. It, you feel like you're there. That's, yeah, you what I, that's what I think it sounds like. And we do have some fantastic stories from lots of different people who were there and uh, a great, uh, great story from one of our guides, Tommy, at the end, who is probably the only living person in Europe to hunt and kill a man-eating bear. So you know, hang fire for that until right, the right, end of the right show. Right at the end. It's a really good story. I hadn't heard it before until I listened to the show back. So uh, I enjoyed it. Interest. Everyone's interesting. The whole thing is interesting. So We are at the end of the Game Fair season, I think. And we are yeah. already thinking about next year. We are thinking about it's next year. It's hard to believe that 2017 <laughs> is not that far away. Uh, we did our fair share this year of Game Fest. Yeah, we did do. We did a good chunk of the Game Fest this year. But the first one that we will be going to next year uh, is the Northern Shooting Show, which we were at in 2016. It was great. We have the dates for you here, if you don't know. It S- is Saturday the 6th, Sunday the 7th of May, 2017. Absolutely. If you go log on or just Google the Northern Shooting Show now, uh, you will be able to find their website and you will also be able to book early tickets. It's an incredibly well-priced game fair. Probably uh, one of the best-priced. Yeah, it really is. I, was, I actually hadn't looked until now when I was just get, uh, checking out for the show. Uh, one day for an adult, if you um, do the early bird, so book online, it's 10 quid. If you're there on the day, it's 13. Kids are five if you book now and uh, seven on the day. So and it's it's, it's, it's pretty well placed in the country. It's yeah, in, Great Yorkshire in, Showground. Uh, yeah, in Harrogate, and even for the Scottish people like ourselves, it's not too much of a mission. No, I was actually quite surprised. It wasn't yeah, that bad. It's it's not that bad compared to some other shows right down south, and mm. then well, basically me and Byron don't like travelling further south in the Lake District. So <laughs> mainly because of the traffic. <laughs> mainly because the traffic. That's the only reason. Because we of the always seem to get. We always seem to hit an entire motorway that's closed when we head further south of the Lake District, normally because we're heading at night, and that's when they do all the roadworks. But anyway, Northern Shooting Show, go check it out. Uh, we'll be giving you uh, some more info on that and uh, the people who are going to be there a little bit closer to the time, but we're certainly going to be there. And we'll be doing stuff there. Yes, we will. And not quite we, sure what yet. We're not sure what yet, and we'll probably have uh, some merchandise as well at some point. Yeah, uh, yeah I think it's, it's going to be good. First one of the year. Looking forward to it. 
Um, I have a... Oh, well, before I give you a little bit of news and get into the podcast yeah. competition winner, mm-hmm. which was for a pair of Surefire Ear Defenders, yeah. uh, we asked you to post a picture underneath the pin post, and you did it. And we had one that really stood out, which was what, Daryl? It was a picture. I can't remember the gentleman's name. Uh, You've got na- it I've down. got it written down. Yeah. It's Mark, uh, Mark Mitchell. Mark Mitchell. So Mark Mitchell put a picture of him walking across a river bank and he was kind of crossing a uh, shell a bit and he's got his baby strapped to his back crossing it so we it, thought that was awesome yeah, it's pretty cool so so mark mitchell uh, as us. always four weeks give us a give us a message somehow either through our website uh, thepacebrothers.com or any of the social media and we will get your surefire ear defenders sent out to you yep. Uh, my one thing of news which came up just in the last seven days or so, which uh, some of you might have seen, it was bouncing around Facebook, but equally you might have missed it, is that Roma- R- Romania has just closed all the hunting for large carnivores. Uh, it, what they say that they're going to do is that they will no longer be um, hunting by the hunting organizations and the different sort of concessions that they've got, and instead that they will tackle each individual animal that actually causes a problem either to livestock or, or human and decide what they're going to do with that animal and that'll be done at a sort of state level they'll either kill it or they're actually talking about that tranquilizing it and translocating it to other countries uh, so this is a pretty big deal because for a lot of years now certainly for the last 10 years the the quotas uh, for hunting species such as bear and lynx have been slowly increasing because They've had there's been greater and greater populations and availability to hunt, and now all of a sudden, just like that, the whole thing's been shut down. So I'm sure that we will be able to speak to somebody who knows more about it and can flesh out a little bit of the consequences of that. We'll, so so if, we're, we're going to try if, and if find if out somebody. If you are can. connected in any way with uh, Romania and you know about the hunting, get in contact. Yeah, we will, and we'll try and uh, bring you a little bit more in, in some future shows on it. Mm-hmm. There was some other news. I can't remember what it was now. Oh yeah. Uh, parliamentary debate about driven grouse shooting. The ban on driven grouse shooting uh, it is on Parliament TV. So if you Google Parliament TV, it comes up and then there's a tab and you can look what you're looking for and it's called driven grouse shooting. I watched probably the first 20 minutes of it and it's an hour long. I still need to finish watching it. Uh, the first 20 minutes so far is uh, Mark Avery and the gentleman from the RSPB uh, and they're being questioned about why they think it should be banned and uh, heather burning and that comes up and, and what so measures they put in place if it wasn't yeah. banned but that's as far as i've got right now i've got to the point where they're talking about heather burning and uh basically mark avery says that armageddon will happen if we don't uh ban driven grouse shooting <laughs> we'll see what happens <laughs> yeah. with this debate uh it st- still needs to play out certainly the responses i've seen on social media since and i haven't had the time to watch the whole thing, but we will be speaking to uh, Andrew Gilruth from the GWCT, probably the next podcast. So he's going to be exactly the man to comment on this debate. So it, it's quite good, actually, that uh, he's going to be coming on after the, the televised debate has taken place. So we'll be bringing you full comment on that at that point. But it's it seems that they uh, c- certainly uh, Mark Avery didn't come out all that well from it because he didn't seem to have a lot of evidence to back up what he was saying. But... We won't say any more on that. There's going to be a load more on it in yeah, probably two weeks' time. Plenty, plenty coming on. And I think that's it for the the pre part of the podcast. Yeah. This podcast is supported by the Scottish Association for Country Sports. 
as always, we're going to have a prize on this podcast, but you have yeah, to listen, listen to the end, listen as to always. End. And we'll tell you what it is and how you enter. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. We are bringing you this from Swedish Lapland this week. After quite an incredible experience with uh, probably more people in this room than we've ever had on a podcast before. Uh, to start off and explain exactly what we are doing north of the Arctic Circle, I'm going to start with Mr. Simon Barr, who is responsible for bringing all these people to this rather magnificent place. Simon, could you just explain what this event was about and why on earth you brought us here? So, uh, I happen to work with a number of manufacturers that make uh, products that are capable of dealing with extremes. So we thought we would take those products to an environment where it was very extreme and ask some of the world's preeminent journalists to come along and be part of an adventure which would test them to, to the edge. And uh, we've uh, taken clothing, optics, firearms and ammunition and tested them all to, to the edge in a, a very amazing Arctic wilderness. Um, we started off uh, with a day's familiarisation with the Arctic, understanding what we were going to do, um, playing with the, the guns, getting them zeroed, getting ready, understanding how the clothing was going to look after us. Uh, and then we headed off on foot with no food, no tent, um, no f nothing, no sleeping bags, literally just the clothing that we stood up in. Um, and marched as far as we could, set camp, and then we had to hunt. If we wanted to eat, we had to hunt. So uh, couldn't think of any better way to uh, test ourselves and the equipment in that situation. And that is uh, where we, we all set off into the first night, which was freezing cold. It was very cold <laughs> on the first night. Conrad, if I can just uh, pass on to you, what was important to make sure that we were all... Uh, safe and, and ready for the first night because we, we had to set up camp and we had to be prepared for any elements that were there so what did you make sure that everybody had prepared before darkness fell basically yeah, on that first well, night? I was involved from the very early planning stages uh, and in concert with uh, Davy and Steve uh, and Simon made sure that, that the, the clothing we had was appropriate and was going to fit the bill and then when we arrived at camp the priorities we needed to uh, re really focus on was protection from the elements and getting a good fire going. So that was really what I was making sure that people had appropriate shelters that were going to see them through that first night. They were not perfect, but it was going to get through the first night and then we would focus on the second day with a small work party to, uh, to improve things so the second night would be more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And what, what, what did the basic form that the shelters take look like? Uh, we, we built one lean-to, which had uh, uh, five people in it, and then the other two groups of three uh, were in sort of tree pit shelters in the base of spruces, which were sh shorn up and, and bolstered with uh, leafy boughs from other trees that managed to chop down. Um, we were there with nothing more than the clothes that we were wearing and the rifles that we had brought. We didn't bring any kind of shelter. We didn't bring any food. What were the, a couple of essentials of survival if you find yourself in that situation? You've literally just got the kit that you had with you to hunt, which was what we had when we arrived. Well, the, the product of survival don't change, and that is protection from the elements and, and, and looking after your basic life-saving needs. So making sure that nobody's injured and that no one's going to die of any, any, any you know, injuries or, or wounds, uh, and making sure that they are out of the wind and the wet. And as long as they're out of the wind and the wet... Even just sitting in the lee of a tree is going to be a pretty pretty successful shelter for them. Now you've got some some pretty set rules in terms of w what you need for survival. 
the, the rule of three, I think you, you called it before. Yeah, we, we talked through that. I mean, the, the real basics is, is the rule of three, and, and it's sort of accepted by everyone universally that we can survive for three minutes without oxygen, for three hours without shelter, three days without water, and three weeks without food, which contextualizes the fact that, you know, the, the three uh, minutes without oxygen refers to the medical aspects, the fact that we've got oxygen circulating around our body. Uh, the three hours without shelter begins with what we're wearing as far as clothing. Certainly in this environment, if we were standing around naked uh, within three hours, we're certainly going to start succumbing to the cold and, and beginning to get hypothermia. Um, so that's really the, the key priority. The fact that we can do three days without water and three weeks without food, we, we should be looking to get ourselves either recovered or rescued long before that, or um, our plan should, should be that people are going to be coming to find us within that, that 72 hours. Great. Let's pass on, speak to Nick. What did you think to yourself when we all arrived here at an airport in, uh, in Sweden, not really knowing what the hell was going to happen. What were you, what was going through your mind when you found out, when you first found out what the plan was? Well, I wasn't sure, uh, what we're going to have for dinner. So, um, um, we were planning to hunt birds and moose and I thought uh, moose hunting was the most exhausting and most impractical part of it. Cause I've never been moose hunting before, never been to Swedish Lapland before. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't got any birds, but let's see tomorrow. Um, but we got two moose and uh, that fed us all through the days that we went in camp. And yeah, I thought that would be a hard trip. And um, But I thought that would be much colder staying overnight than hmm, setting up shelter and everything. But for me, the hardest part was the walking there. And tell me about because you got a moose. You were the first person to bring meat to the you camp. <laughs> yeah, you saved um, us from starvation. Yeah. Actually, actually, um, I was just the guy shooting. Um, without without our guides, that wouldn't be possible. Um, yeah, we just went there in the morning, and at nine o'clock we went down the river um, to a small creek on a boat, and then went to land on a high seat, and uh, we called for bull. Um, bull didn't show up, but the cow and the calf showed up, and they were obviously lying there in the grass. And yeah, they were running quite fast, and I tried to get them. Uh, the first shots didn't hit, but the last one did, and um, so we got the calf. And I was really lucky to to get it um, because I was hungry like everyone else, and uh, so I was very proud of getting that and get you all um, a warm meal that day <laughs> and today. Davey, if we just uh, go on to you, we're wearing all of your kit. Um, it would be interesting just to know if we just start maybe a little bit further back with you and just talk about how Swazi started and to where we are today in a sort of truncated version to wearing your stuff for this expedition. Um, really truncated version. We started about 23 years ago. Uh, my background was um, I was a professional trapper, so I'd spend most of my time in the mountains, sort of, you know, three, four months on my own trapping. So the skin market crashed, and about the only thing I was left in the expert app was getting wet and getting cold. And I thought, well, hell, maybe I can start a company that keeps people dry and keeps them warm. And that's pretty much what Swazi's been about, you know, over the years, is just keeping people comfortable. I think, you know, we all get tied up with, you know, staying totally dry or staying 
fully warm and this um, this last few days I think has brought home some some realities to people that you know even though you can be cold you can be comfortable even though you can be dry you can be comfortable you know um, and even though you're wet you can also be comfortable it's just a matter of degree wearing good gear yeah that's a that's a key part of surviving in the outdoors um, for me the biggest thing about the weekend was just the team dynamics the way that people pitched in and did things and that was a real surprise for me, just how well, as a group, um, we performed to do all of the things that we did from, you know, providing shelter, um, getting firewood, and then going out and shooting a moose to provide food for the team. Everyone pitched in, and it was, um, it was a real pleasure to be involved with every single person on this expedition. Jeff, you and I have uh, been hunting a bit this last couple of days for birds, for Cap Cayley. But just cast your mind back to the first, uh, I wasn't with you that day, but when you came back into camp, you, you realized that you actually had something to eat after going more than, well, well more than a day without having any food, having hiked already 12, 13 Ks out, whatever it was. What was it like when you heard those shots and you realized, hey, I'm going to be eating tonight? Joyous, pure glory. I was hopping around the camp like a madman saying, is that one shots or five? I think it's five. I think there might be five moose down. <laughs> and then the anticipation starts. You're waiting, waiting. It was, it was radio roulette. Uh, I, I heard it, and then when I heard that it could be a calf. It could be a calf. It was just like I'd hit the, that number six lotto ball. Hmm. You were in need of food by that point. We were anemic, inebriated. Just kidding, but anemic and in need of food, and it was a glorious moment, yes. But I mean, just explain, uh, you know, in the more, sort of modern world that we live in, very few people actually go more than a, a standard day without at least having one meal. And we were, we were doing a lot of work. I mean, we were hunting hard. We were cold, bloody cold the first night, despite having, you know, a fire and everything else. The temperature was pretty low, and we, we were getting up, stoking up fires. And it really takes its toll on your body. Just explain what it feels like not to actually be able to take in any sustenance. And even today, you know, we'd had a bit of meat yesterday, but we were hunting today and the body felt a bit drained. I mean, how, how did you feel? Well, I'll challenge any American to go at least one day without, you know, without hitting the, the KFC drive-through. Um, it's very tough to do. And when you do that, and when your body's used to that stuff, you, um, you feel pretty good. But you take one day off, one day from any food at all, and I'm telling you, you, you know, you, you feel like a skeleton, you can't do anything. Just even to hunt at the end of the day is, is a big feat. You're climbing mountains, you're out of energy. Um, so it's, it's very difficult. Um, so to, to get a calf moose down, my friend, I mean, it's, it saved the group. Um, but then you got to talk about the, the Capra Cali that have eluded us. How's that hunting experience been for you? How's it been? I know I, we haven't got anything yet, but I mean, we've come close. I came here for one thing that was Coors Light or Capricali, and we're all out of Coors Light. Tomorrow, we're killing the Capricali. Neil, if we uh, just come over to you, uh, how's the experience been for you so far before we maybe talk about ammunition a little bit? Great experience. Um, just from the standpoint of going with no food, going on a long hike and carrying a fair amount of weight, all of the above, 
and then not eating, not eating for half, at least half of the next day and surviving it. Okay. I mean, yeah, you have hunger pains, but we were all able to function. Um, yeah, it was tough, but it didn't stop us from doing what we needed to do, getting out there, getting our camp set up, cutting firewood. Uh, it's, it's a feeling of accomplishment so far. Hmm. And just, uh, you're, you're here from Hornady. Mm-hmm. Um, just talk us through the importance of uh, choosing the right ammunition for the animals that you're hunting. We've got a large um, spectrum. We're hunting capercaillie on the one hand and moose on the other. It requires very different ammunition to be able to tackle those both those species ethically. Yeah, we, we brought two different types of ammunition mainly, um, trying to be appropriate for the game. Um, for the capercaillie in, per- in particular, we brought you know 150 grain FMJ ammunition in the 308. Uh, we had 308 and 300 Winchester as our main calibers, so um, we wanted to cause as little damage but still kill humanely with the, the, with the birds, so the FMJ is the, the best choice there. But on the moose, it's a much different deal. We, uh, of course, want to kill the animal humanely, but we, and to do so, that means we need a bullet that's constructed to basically provide the most lethality that we can. We want a bullet that's going to open up quickly. We want a bullet that's going to penetrate. Um, and we want a bullet that's accurate. So those are kind of the three main things that we need there. We need to be able to hit the target. And, and a moose, you know, especially a moose, if it's not too far away, that's accuracy is not as important in that particular sense. You don't need pinpoint precision. But you definitely need something that's going to handle, um, you know, penetrating far enough, penetrating possibly through shoulder bone, if that's the shot that you end up with. Or if you make a bad shot on the first one and you have to do follow-up shots, you need something that's going to reach the vitals. So... You need it to reach, but more than just to reach, you need a bullet that's going to expand and cause damage and not just fire right through the animal. So that's where uh, the spire point bullet, the 180 grain spire point, which we had in the 300 wind bay, we also had some 308 wind ammo with us, but the the, the 300s are what we used. Uh, they perform very well from, from everything that I've seen, and uh, uh, it's in our custom international line of, inf- of ammunition, which... Uh, um, it's, it's a tried and true bullet, a lot of, uh, proven history with it and, uh, it worked out very well. Awesome. And now to the only girl in the group, how on earth did you manage to put up with so many guys <laughs> <laughs> for so many days? Well, it smelled pretty bad, but... <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Being the only girl in my family, I'm pretty used to it and... Because it was a team environment, everyone helped out. I don't think I was paid any special attention or anyone sort of did anything for me because I was a female. Everyone just sort of, you know, got together and tried to get food, tried to make shelter and really just pitch in as a team. How was, uh, how did you find the the no eating until we killed thing? I mean, it might not have happened on the second day. It could have been the third. What was your sort of mindset for that? The no eating surprised me because I thought I would have been really struggling the first day, but I honestly struggled mostly with the cold at night. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, you just couldn't even think about anything else. When I woke up, I didn't even really want to eat. I just focused on getting warm. When we got food, that was amazing. And yeah, you got pretty used to eating a lot of moose cooked different ways. What was that first night like? Because it was a lot colder than the second night. I mean, how often were you waking up? I was awake the whole night. Just waking up. Awake the whole night between being cold, 
listening to snoring, listening to farting, listening to Germans talking. You mean you can hear <laughs> You can hear Simon snoring all the way to your camp? <laughs> Pretty much. That's, that's cool. I mean, how does this rank in terms of experiences for you? This is awesome. I mean, it's good to, it's, you know, the hunting and the shelter and everything, like, it's... It's not too extreme, but when you take away elements like food, sleeping bags, all those kind of things, then it starts to really be Changes quite... A, it does change the game, and it becomes more about survival than anything. Because you can sleep in a sleeping bag under a fly and be fine, but as soon as you take away the sleeping bag, the fly, and you have to create your own shelter and your own warmth, it's just a whole new game. And how satisfying was it being part of bringing that first lot of meat back to camp? Oh, it was amazing. Just doing that... Uh, building the shelter, cooking the meat, bringing back the meat, just everything was awesome. That's so cool. And now, to my friend, I was with you to share the, one of the most incredible experiences of my life, and I wasn't even pulling the trigger. No. We went out, Simon was with us, Tommy was with us, Tommy was guiding us, we were calling Moose all day, and almost in the final hour, just magic happened, just talk me through that. Yeah. And I've got it on film, so everybody <laughs> knows that you have no idea what happened five minutes after that. No, once I was, watched the video, but just I was talk, pretty me shocked. It. talk me through it. I was pretty shocked. Yeah, as you said, we've been walking since seven o'clock in the morning. Uh, at that time, we hadn't had anything to eat for 24 hours. And basically, I've done a, my share of extreme uh, things with uh, in the outdoors and a lot of hunting but i've never been putting these two things together so i think it was pretty intense to be uh, going out for a whole day of hunting uh, without food mm. and without bringing any food so that was the first thing that put a pressure on i guess and um, yeah we were just walking through the most amazing countryside there and and small lakes small swamps trees on the mountains on the side the sun coming up and we were um, sometimes stopping calling and walking and calling and just doing that for the first couple of hours um, didn't see a lot of uh, moose activity but we saw a lot of tracks and uh, coming this way and the other way but we didn't see any moose and then we uh, started to head around the mountain up here going up to uh, to a to a plateau up there that Tommy knows, and um, and we went again through the most like dreamlike um, trees and stuff like that. We actually saw an, an active uh, bear den. Incredible, uh, on, wasn't it? On the on the way up there, yeah, pretty much backed up from that. Um, and then we walked uh, to the mountain. We walked on a trail that that uh, has been used for by the Sami people. Uh, for hundreds of years and it's uh, you can still it's it's still a track and you can also see that the the, the animals use it because we saw huge uh, moose tracks in there and there was you just got a feeling that 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 was activity in the area and then we got on top of of, of, uh, of to the top there and just this amazing place opened up with with um, yellow uh, grass everywhere and a creek in the middle and yeah we quickly we took a, a quick stop where we, where we just sat and had a, a sleep and 
Tommy was calling and we were looking, blasting and everything. And, and from there on we went, I think we took two stops um, calling and then reaching, I think it would have been the, the farthest point of our hunt that day. From there on we would be going home. Um, we sat and uh, called. After a couple of minutes, Tommy said, let's go. I got up, Tommy got up. You guys were still sitting in the back. And suddenly Tommy says, there. <laughs> and I just swing around, see this huge moose bull just standing in front of us, looking directly at us at 50, 60 meters. And um, I just kneeled down on one knee, took the rifle up and looked to Tommy and, and said, can I shoot, shoot? And he said, shoot. And then I make the first shot and the moose actually didn't react very much. He turned, but he didn't make a, a big reaction to the shot. And then he turned around, put the other side on it and I, I got a good long shot on that. And then I think I fired one more, two more times and, uh, and then he kind of went down. And from there on, I was just, I mean, I, the look I on think, your face was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all this shooting was was instinct, instinctive. I mean, I wasn't thinking. I was thinking about the first shot because I needed that to be a good one, and I needed to know that it was the right animal and everything. But from there on, it was just boom, boom, getting it down. And how did you feel when that when that bull hit the dirt? I mean, I, 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 I had to. I had you to tell me what actually happened. That yeah, <laughs> you're pretty. Was... You're pretty emotional as, as we yeah, all were. Yeah. I yeah. mean, at that point, we that was almost two days that we hadn't had any food. Exactly, and and that the whole environment and that fact that we didn't have food and the fact that I was actually being put in a situation where I didn't know what, what I supposed what I'm going to do and when I will get any food. Um, also, being with gear that I do not know. Mm -hmm. And normally I, I pack my own gear and I have a specific list of things I like to take. And this time I was put there with, with stuff that that um, I trusted uh, would work for me, but uh, I didn't actually know it. So the whole thing around the, the, the hunting situation was, I mean, crazy. The setting was amazing. The sun was shining, the landscape, the mountains, the snow, everything it was, yeah, it was, it, yeah, I don't think anything will ever top that actually. It will be hard. It's awesome. And now to uh, one of our, our German friends who was talking all night, apparently. Uh, <laughs> how has this experience been for you? And how does it compare to other hunts that you've done? Because this isn't just a hunt. This is far more than that. No, it's far more than a hunt. I'm, uh, I'm uh, a lot of outside in Germany also. Also for hunting, for fishing, and also for, for being to, uh, yeah, uh, camping with the kids or for my own, a little bit survival, but it's not in compared to this, what we experienced here. Because it was, uh, <laughs> as the invitation came and uh, Simon wrote, please bring only a pair of shoes, a pair, a pair of boots, a and flashlight a and a toothbrush. <laughs> I said, okay, that's mine, because uh, I love the surprise, I love the adventure. <laughs> and uh, then, okay, it was okay, we knew suddenly where we're going to, to Stockholm, then to Lulia, and then uh, we crossed the polar circle, I said, okay, it's getting cold, because I was standing there in the night where we took the photos only with this uh, flying On west, it was freezing like hell, and then, but the, then in the camp, it was very okay, it was back to the basics, back to the roots, I loved it very much, 
if you're getting cold, the first night was incredibly cold, as the other guys told. Um, you can also solve the, the situation with talking to each other. Sorry, Tegan. <laughs> in, 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 in the German camp. At the, the German shelter, we were talking a lot. <laughs> or to chop wood. The German dugout. Yeah. <laughs> or to chop wood in the middle of the night. We Sorry heard somebody chopping the wood in the yeah, middle of the yeah. night. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, <laughs> that was really funny and it was a good experience. And um, with all the stuff, it was uh, w w w the people were amazing. It was a team game, really, and um, everyone helped everybody. And uh, I can say that because uh, I came here with uh, with the ill. I got a cold and coughing, and so here I get uh, get uh, infection in the eye. Yeah, you suffered a lot. I suffered a lot, and um, but it's, uh, it's the experience you make to make the best of it. Mm. You, it's easy to call emergency and fly out, but uh, the other side is, for me, it's a game to say, okay, how long can I take part in this party and, um, and, and be part of this party and stay, stay through all this coldness, this, uh, this uh, stress and so on. And that was really, at the end of the day, it was really tested to the edge. And uh, how, how, like how is it. the hunger aspect for you? Everyone's a little bit different. Yeah, at the first at the first day, it wasn't um, it wasn't so ugly to me and so hard, even if I eat a lot. Usually, uh, you see it. But uh, <laughs> but, uh, but um, then on the second day, as uh, Nick shot the the, the, the first moose calf, moose calf, it was really nice. I loved it and I celebrated it to to, to stick the moose meat on on the stick mm. and, and and barbecue it in the fire. Better than any restaurant. Better than any steakhouse. Yeah, really it was a nice trip, nice experience, and uh, yeah. I'll never forget it. I will never forget it. No. Fantastic. Simon, if I just come back to you before we go to the legend that is Tommy, uh, just to kind of wrap up this experience, we're, we're on our last night here. We've just stood outside and watched the Northern Lights, which are... For the second time. For the second time, which is something that it's almost impossible to explain unless you've seen it. But yeah, if you just want to kind of sum up this incredible experience. Well, I mean, really, it's for me to say thank you to a number of people. And I think it's important. Firstly, thank you to all of the journalists that have taken part in this because they were just sent an invitation and they didn't know where they were going. They just knew they had to meet us at Stockholm Airport on a certain date. They knew nothing else. I've got to say thank you to Comrade because he and I have been working for over six months to put the whole plan together to make it happen. Um, I've got to thank Tommy, who without his uh, extreme experience and understanding and, and buying into our vision, um, you know, the whole thing wouldn't be possible. But, you know, driving all of this are the manufacturing partners that, that bought the vision that I sold them as an idea and as a concept. Hornady, who provided the ammunition, Leica, who provided the optics, we used the Magnus rifle scope and the Geovid binoculars, uh, Mauser, who provided six M12 extreme rifles, and of course, uh, Swazi, who, you know, clothed us and kept us safe, dry and warm, um, nearly warm most of the time. Um, but, you know, it's, it's fantastic to see manufacturers buying in and seeing... Uh, opportunities to do things that are progressive like this um, for you know for all of us to go and create stories and tell other people about how wonderful it is to go into the wilderness with very little and, and hunt in this in this way I think it's absolutely fantastic so um, you know it, I'm, I'm, it's, it's been a, a hugely 
rewarding experience. I'm very, very happy with how it's gone. No one died, which is a massive bonus. So, um, you know, we did have a contingency for that, though, um, which, which, which would have been leave them for the bears. But um, no, it has been uh, it has been really, really positive. So, um, you know, I just I'm going to do a round of applause. For yeah. Uh, a big thank you to Simon, who was uh, obviously the man who invited us here. Thank you, Brian. But one, one uh, uh, partner I, I forgot to mention then, that, but that is vitally important, the Swedish Lapland Tourist Board bought into this concept as well, and they have been a, a partner. Um, we didn't disclose the partner to begin with because it would have disclosed the location of where we were going, but they have been instrumental in allowing us to come here. They've bought into the idea of hunting tourism and what that brings to an area and how positive that is. Um, and I hope through you know how we propagate our stories through media around the world that can encourage more people to come to this area, this beautiful area, hunt and bring income to the area. It provides jobs, it provides you know a whole lot of good stuff, hotels, gun shops and so on, and that's a really positive thing. So I think it's you know Swedish Lapland Tourist Board at the forefront in Europe for tourist boards on promoting hunting as a you know a way of driving economies. I'm really I'm, I'm very very grateful to them. I'm, you know I think they they deserve you know a massive thanks for doing that. So I'm yeah. going to send them a big letter of thanks at the end of this. Absolutely, and it's been a quite exceptional location to do uh, well just to be in. Never mind have the the great opportunity to hunt. Uh, Tommy, we're going to come to you as the, the last person to speak, and maybe we could just start with telling a little bit about who you are. I, I would be interested to know how you, how you got into this game, what was your early life like before we sort of talk about the place that we're in and, and the great place it is to hunt. So tell me how you first started hunting, because I actually don't know. Yeah, we, we started up uh, pretty early. When we was really young guys, we, we saw the McKayans, the Seb McCartney stuff, and we wanted to be trappers. So me and my friends, we I have a, a memory that uh, we were sitting up in a tree a whole day, me and my friend, only by the knowledge that nobody is seeing us up in a tree there. And we started to hunt uh, muskrats and stuff like that. And it was maybe... 10 years old or something like that so I have hunted and fishing pretty much my whole life up here in Swedish Lapland and it's a lifestyle when when did you start professionally hunting taking people out yeah I, I entered a guide school uh, on the border river to Finland uh, back in 1995 and and uh, me and a friend there we started up the our company nord guide is it 21 years ago now so it's a long time yeah so it's pretty much what i have done for, since then and what what for those people who don't know sweden and don't know swedish lapland what type of hunting do you do or what, what animals are, are do you hunt and what type of hunting is it uh, for me, it uh, have always been a challenge. I, I set the goal. If I, I want to, we started up with the game birds, the uh, hazel hands, the capercaillies, and everything. And you want to do your thing and learn as much as possible about every game. And so we 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 climbed the ladder. We we ha had uh, lots of animals up here in the north and. Uh, it's a great challenge, I think, to hunt up here in Swedish Lapland because 
the animals is quite elusive so it takes time to, to learn how to do it mm-hmm. and just talk me through because we, we talked a little bit earlier about uh the, the moose hunting experience that we've had on this particular trip but just talk me through the sort of the yearly cycle of the moose and calling them during the rut because it's uh i mean we we call stags or we call roe during our our rut back in the uk but it's a very very different thing here in swedish lapland calling yeah it is and uh, it's a little bit uh, special Uh, swedish lapland is quite big area so so we we need to keep track where the rut kick kick in and everything and uh, during this event we have been to our most exclusive area and and we have kept track. We 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 keep contact with the local, the Sami people, and and listen if the we hunt actually for mountain moose that lives in the national parks during the summer and fall, and uh, we concentrate the hunt during the rut around the delta countries where the cow and the calves have their natural habitat, and uh, during rut they enter so it's a little bit of a game always because the the weather changes and the snow affects everything so we knew that we were going to be spot on during this event so it's it's really nice and just i mean the place that we've been at is just absolutely stunning but it's particularly special to have the opportunity to hunt here maybe you could just elaborate a little bit about why this location is so special to hunt yeah yeah i i had a had a, always have a, have a dream to to hunt here we have the biggest moose the most spectacular environment and everything so i have struggled for t- maybe 20 years because it's not uh, legal to hunt on the governmental land up here in the mountains so it's a very few areas that are privately owned so we, we build up a relationship here we have been in the area and actually uh, we did an, uh, a hunt back in 2014 with a couple of guys from switzerland that one guy wanted a, a bull and a capricale and the other one wanted a, a bear, brown bear and a, a black a black grouse and I told him that the, the bear is quite difficult and we, we can't really promise that you can get one, maybe 20, 30 percent. And he's a really humble guy and we, we, we started up discussing and he realized that it's going to take lots of effort to, to get the, the bear. And, uh, and uh, he understand everything, so we arranged that and, and uh, it went to pretty well we didn't get the black grouse but but anyway they were pretty happy and uh, I told him about this place because uh, Vidar one of my guide and close friends uh, have been a lot up in this area so I wanted to show this guy the Capricale hunt here and I told them that there are a moose area but uh, it's almost impossible to, to get licenses here so so he asked me, can't you try, give it a try. So I took my whole family up here in the spring. We went up here with the snowmobile, took a meeting with, with the landowner and we had barbecue and discussion. And I went with a man to the cabin and we started to discuss and 
we shook hand and that was the deal. I got to buy two bull licenses back in 2015. So that was actually the first time we even get, get licenses up here. So we went up here and had an amazing hunt. Both of the guys got their bulls and, and um, early in the summer of 2016, uh, uh, Simon contacted me and briefed me about uh, the castaway they did back in Scotland and he had big plans to to do something even more amazing and that because he had great visions this man and and uh, we went up to our second best area close to the Finnish border we we had a really great time and we briefed Conrad was with us and we started to plan Simon knew that I had a cancellation on, on, on these two exclusive bulls and, and he popped the idea, can't we go up there? I had not even thought about it and, and uh, we started to discuss the, the, the concept and uh, it's so extremely difficult to hunt up here and I, I, I started to think if, if, if it's possible to, to get this elusive bull up here and Simon came up with that. He can't we add a calf to that also? And I said, well, we can try. And and uh, it has been a great challenge to me also to to bring this group up here. And, and you've done a great job, Tommy. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Job. Thank you. Yeah. And kept us safe. Yeah. And, uh, and your guides. Yeah. Done yeah. A fantastic job. Thank yeah. you to both of your guides. Yeah. And Peter have done a fantastic yeah. job. I want to ask you about, I want to ask you something particular about bear hunting. You've got a very interesting story, but just before we do that, for we've got a lot of people who listen to this podcast who don't necessarily hunt from day to day or even fish, but they're just intrigued about the countryside. And the idea of killing a bear, maybe more than other animals, may seem a bit strange. You know, why, why would you want to kill a bear and aren't they an, an endangered animal, a bit like the perception with lions, for example? So maybe you could just explain just how carefully bear hunting is restricted and how, how that works with certain numbers of bears in certain areas and the population in Sweden. Mm. It's a little bit spe special. Bear hunting in Sweden is uh, quite unique because uh, between the 1800 and 1900 centuries it was almost vanished because of the predator hate. Uh, so, so that was killing bears because they were predating on cattle, oh, cattle and, sheep and, and not not for recreational hunting. No, 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 no. It, it was just uh, uh, humans who wanted to get rid of a th threat. So, so in my mind, I think we have the the world's most elusive population of bears. That the mitochondria DNA climbs from those 130 individuals back in mid 1800 century. So that's ma make bear hunting in Sweden a, a great challenge. Uh, and uh, uh, the population is still growing. So, so we have a strong population. And today we have something around 3,500 bears or something like that. So, And it's very carefully regulated. Yeah, yeah. The government keep track on everything and try to... to, to uh, develop the, the population and care, 
collect the uh, shit to take DNA mm -hmm. tests and they tried a little bit different methods to, to keep track on, on the population. And um, we can't talk long about this, but, but uh, recently we have uh, closed the study with the Sami people that uh, we have marked bears and we have marked female reindeers to, to, to evaluate, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah uh, the, the number of calves the bear takes. Okay. And, and the conclusion has been that 20% of all the reindeer calves in the early summer is taken by bears. It's a lot. Yeah, it is. 20% predation. Yeah. yeah. So the bear hunting, when I started back, I don't know really which year I started to try to hunt bears. Me and Dan and Vidar also, we have hunted lots of bears. And as hunters, we are we are we are learning all the time. So it's a great crew to have around because me and my guides always strive to 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 find effective methods and things like that. But something that I don't like about the bear hunting in Sweden at the moment it's it's a little bit of a macho factor uh, people go over limits and they really try and it's like a competition it, it's a little bit um, a little bit too macho at the moment less about the animals Le less about the animals and uh, everybody want to be so effective as possible and they fight and they want that bear track so hard so I got a little bit bored about that so I stopped hunting bears privately back in 2010. One reason what I got my first kid, a beautiful daughter named Iris and I thought why should daddy go and challenge bear in the bush. I was amazed uh, when we were out hunting moose the other day, we came across a possible bear den and your, the amount of respect that you showed the potential bear that was in there, I found quite humbling because, you know, I've, I've never seen a bear myself um, and I have respect for all animals, but I could see by the look on your face when, yeah, there was a potential there could be a bear in that den the way we backed away. Why is it so important to show that respect? I mean, yeah, a lot of people uh, won't really realize the consequences of maybe bumping into a bear at this time. Yeah, there are a few dangerous situations with bears. It's if you come between the, the mother and the cubs, if you disturb them in the den, and if you shoot at them. And of course, if you, if you push them hard with dogs. So that's a couple of situations you should avoid with bears but otherwise they are friendly animals and you hardly see them very secretive yeah maybe we can just finish up on you recounting killing a man-eating bear yeah I, I don't know if you're the only person in europe simon and i were discussing this the other day with you but yeah if you're not the only person you're certainly one of very few people in europe who have killed a man-eating anything and you got called upon to kill a man-eating bear not that long ago. I mean, just talk us through that phone call and then what happened. Yeah. I'm probably going to start uh, saying that uh, even if it, in that occasion, was a bear that ate a 
a man is probably I don't think it's anything wrong with that bear because it was uh, shot at so so uh, back in 2004 uh, I was actually the only one up in Swedish Lapland that was had an educated dog I I had got uh, a license to track wounded bears so the police had my name and number so it was a situation that uh, a local hunting team was hunting in a vast area up here in the Jokmok area and uh, one of the moose hunters didn't came home after the hunt then uh, and the friends called the police and they came with a tracking dog they found the car and started tracking him the next morning and uh, came up and uh, they realized that it must have been a, a bear that had killed him and put him under spruce so uh, when the police officer and the friend found the body they called out in the radio for the helicopter that also was out searching for the missing moose hunter and uh, the helicopter approached the area and from the air they saw the bear was still alive and guarding the body so they told the guys to back back out from from there it was a bear laying there but uh, the, the situation was quite crazy because uh, the fuel went off they needed to refuel the helicopter they had not enough fuel to go down and pick up the officer and, and the hunter's friend so they actually had to stay there and make a big bonfire and the police officer had a nine millimeter six hour or something so they didn't feel very safe in that situation so <clears throat> they got out, out the two guys from the ground the next day they called me because i was on the list there i took a friend as a backup shooter it was so foggy that morning so we couldn't fly into there so we needed to walk in we got uh, they put out the position on a map and I had uh, an old uh, no he was young at that moment uh, East Siberian Laika that I trusted really much so he started to pull the tree in the leech and, and I saw on the dog that he felt something so I released the dog and he directly found the bear and started to bark and uh, it was quite uh, exciting and a little bit scary to to go in there just psychologically to to know that the bear had killed one yeah uh, earlier so so we went in there and we had bad winds and the wind was twisting all the time so we came in quite close and the bear was really aggressive and throw things at the dog and stuff like that and suddenly the wind changed the bear got wind from us and the dog came to me and you don't want the dog to to let the prey especially a prey like a bear because then you don't know where it is so i, I told the dog to go go back and he, he did and the, the bear had moved maybe 200 meters so we circled around in in wind and uh, after a while i saw the dog and uh, the dog saw me and was really happy that he was able to hunt and he did a little bit attack to the bear and the bear attacked him back i saw the head and the dog 
looked at me and wondered why I didn't shoot. So he went back there and backed away 10 meters. And then I got the full profile so I could fire. And I think it hit high in the lungs, touched the spine because the bear hit the ground and threw things 20, 10, 20 meters up in the air. It's what just like exploding. And uh, we heard uh, the sound when the lungs collapsed, so it felt pretty tense at the moment. And my friend was quite new in the game, so he wanted me to shoot some more, and I did. So it went well. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. I think that's a, a pretty cool story to end on, and uh, I thank you, as Simon did, for uh, guiding us and your two guides throughout this last couple of days. It's yeah. been a tremendous experience, a tremendous place, and uh, I think we've all learned a lot, and it's something we'll never forget. Uh, it has been a pleasure to show you our neck of woods. Brilliant. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to this week's show. We have a prize, we promised you. Now, what is it? We do. It is a Solar Wrap Mini made by Bushnell. It's the Bear Grylls branded version of it. Um, we were trying, Before the podcast, we were trying to decide how we could describe how big it was. And the best we could come up with was um, it's like two of the old Kodak film tubs. that you're, The black ones. Yeah, the black ones that your film used to on come On top in. of each other, and yeah. it's that size. It's basically exactly that size. So it's pretty small. I think I was on the edge of... I could remember it, and I'm 25. Yeah, so, so most anyone that's younger than me might not remember it. <laughs> um, but basically, if you clench your fist, you can. It doesn't quite fit inside your fist, but it's not not far off. Let's it. put it this way: you could put it in a pocket and forget about it very easily. Yeah. Uh, essentially, what it is is it's a, a small tube which you can charge up via a USB, which all takes about four hours to charge up, uh, and that is a power bank. But you can top the power bank up with the solar panel unit, which is uh, which is wrapped around. It is, yeah. It's like a material. It's pretty. And you pull. Cool, it's quite a large solar panel. You mm. pull it out, and you can keep topping up the power bank while you're using it. Exactly. Now, according to, I haven't. I've literally just taken out its packet now, uh, so that I could tell you what it's like. So I haven't had a chance to use it myself. But according to the box, it will charge your phone, iPhone type um, smartphone one time so you get one full charge that's from the power bank um, an iPod type device two times and a small camera battery two and a half times and it takes uh, charge time with the solar panel is 10 hours I guess maybe not in Scotland <laughs> yeah I, I think you need some half decent sun but decent 10 sun. hours isn't isn't too bad I guess over a couple of days you'll manage to charge it up I mean, it's you're not you're not going to be relying on it. That's the thing. Yeah. Is it, this is the kind of thing you take out, and if you really need it, it's there, yeah, and absolutely. and it will work. We've so, had some really cool things from yeah. Bushnell, actually. Yeah, actually, Bushnell. Like that that trophy cam that we gave away a few months back now was really really wicked. Mm, yeah, it was. And this is another one. So if you want to win this uh, solar wrap, then you've got to enter the competition. Yep. And Daryl's just been dreaming up how. You're going to enter the competition while I've been speaking this because, yeah, again, we hadn't actually decided before we started recording. Yeah, I think that... What do you think we should do this week? Um, We've done a picture one, so we, we shouldn't do that again. I think I think we need to share. We need to share the podcast more. Mm -hmm. So on any of the social media platforms that we have, you know, your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, when this podcast goes out, 
we always put the, the pin post at the top with information on the podcast and where you can uh, watch or download it, share it. So we'll see who's shared it and all the people who have shared uh, whatever it might be, if it's a, a retweet or a mention on Instagram, if you want to mention us and, and say go listen to the podcast. He, he, here's one even better. I've got one oh, even better. Yeah, no, it still involves sharing okay. it. But take a selfie while listening to the show and tag us in it. Okay. And then we will repost it every selfie that we get. Okay, there you go. Selfie listening to the show. So I guess you hold up your whatever you're listening to on the show that you're listening to. to that us. might be hard if if they're taking a picture on their phone. But just take a selfie of you with headphones on or in the car. Or yeah, okay. Not while driving, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. Selfie of you listening to the show. Send it to us, post us, tag us, however you want to do, just so that we know that you've done it. And then we will, we will repost it. And everybody who does a selfie listening to the show, you'll be entered in the competition to win this. Done deal. Well, thank you very much for listening. Join us again in two weeks' time, and you can download this on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube. Sometimes it's delayed on YouTube because our main platform is iTunes and uh, Stitcher. That is where 99% of you all listen from is iTunes. So thank you very much for all the, the people that listen on iTunes and Stitcher, which is the Android version. SoundCloud as well. SoundCloud as well. We've got uh, some listeners on, increasing amount of listeners on there as well. But yeah, thank you to everyone that listens across all the platforms and the reviews. We've had a huge amount of reviews actually in the last two weeks or something. And we are actually one of the top reviewed uh, countryside hunting podcasts yeah, out quite there amazing, right now. Next to, um, yeah, I mean, even if you look at like Joe Rogan's podcast, which has obviously been going around for a lot longer, it's got 900 or 1,000 reviews on it. But uh, none of the other ones have as many as us, really. That's good. Yeah. So keep, keep reviewing. Keep, yeah, keep, keep reviewing. messaging yeah. us. And keep listening. Yeah. Uh, don't forget that this podcast is supported and brought to you by the Scottish Association for Country Sports. If you want to get keep up to date with all the information and all, information and all the happenings in uh, the, the countryside world, the best place to do it is check out their Facebook page because that's updated on a, on a daily basis. Just search the Scottish Association for Country Sports. And if you want to contact the show, podcast at paceproductionsuk.com. But don't worry, that is in the description. Or you can find us on all the W's, thepacebrothers.com. Yes, and just finally, because I forgot to mention it at the start, we are currently running Wilderness Hunts. Uh, it was an opportunity for you to come and hunt with us and experience hunting the way that we like to hunt, which... For any of the, uh, for those of you who have watched our series, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. If you haven't watched the series, just type in Into the Wilderness onto YouTube. And you'll find it. Yeah. Uh, the places are actually filling up now. And once they are full, that is it. We can only take yep. four people per date. So we're if only doing one this year. Yes, we are. And then we'll have another one after the new year as well. So Absolutely. All the dates are on a document on our website. So as Daryl already said, thepacebrothers.com. Go on there, click the tab that says Wilderness Hunts, and all the information uh, you need is on there. And if you have any other questions, just ping us an email. Yep. Thanks very much.